Hello and welcome to Climb's podcast series, Advancing Vietnam, with me, Vlad Savin, as your host. Throughout the following episodes, we're looking to answering relevant questions about doing business in Vietnam. What are the opportunities and challenges faced by investors entering the market or existing players in major industries? We will seek to understand the business environment from a cultural, local mindset and how to deal with compliance from an international perspective. What are the major risks faced by uh, businesses active in the region and how to overcome them? We will dive deep into the compliance environment in Vietnam, discussing processes and procedures, changes in laws, latest official updates from the authorities and financial governance planning for businesses active in Vietnam. We at the client consider compliance a major asset for foreign investors operating in Vietnam. We emphasize this aspect when speaking with our clients and we make sure they understand the significant benefits of being compliant. In this episode, I'm discussing with Matthew Lowry, managing partner at Climb Vietnam, about how foreign investors should undertake buying into or selling businesses in Vietnam, looking at the key prerequisites and important key elements they should consider in the transaction process. Matthew, welcome to our 17th episode of Advancing Vietnam podcast series, and I look forward to dive deep into this uh, subject. Uh, thanks, Vlad. Always great to talk to you and looking forward to talking more about these, the, the, the topics here. Matthew, international investors and entrepreneurs commonly undertake direct investments in existing companies in Vietnam. However, as with any investment, care needs to be taken when assessing the value and risks of a potential acquisition target. There are processes and actions that should be considered and included as core elements of the assessment and transaction process. Let's look at the first two issues to be aware of, tax and financials. Why are these important in your opinion? Um, yeah, thanks, because I think you've got that right. Tax and financials are probably two of the core things to look at here in that from Vietnam point of view, financial statements are prepared as a tax obligation. And as we know, um, this um, a lot of countries like to take the approach of avoid, most countries, most investors avoiding tax, but that taken to a level in Vietnam where um, if it's a not a foreign invested company, there is unlikely to be an audit and what is lodged, what is prepared as their financial statements and what is lodged with the tax authorities may not be the complete picture. So you may get the situation where it's severely understated. And in fact, more commonly than not, you'll find a significant understatement of taxation and declared financials. So you might see multiple sets of books, very common, true sets and the tax sets. Now, that is less so with multinational and foreign invested companies, but it can exist because of the mindset. And you never want to buy a business based upon um, a set of financials that doesn't represent the business, nor do you want to necessarily um, be investing in something knowing full well that there are potential task, tax risks that you haven't quantified and not aware of. So it is complicated and it is difficult. Understanding any business, what is the true financial position, what has been lodged with the authorities, what is the tr true tax position, all of those things must be known from the start. And only then can you then start making an assessment about moving forward. Um, and just to finalize that is that it is hard in many cases to get the truth out of um, Vietnamese owners, but any owners of businesses um, in the early stages because they're trying to defend, they're trying to protect themselves. They don't want you to know what they're doing, which is common practice in many situations. So be prepared that, that, that the inquiries may take some time before you get the knowledge of where that sits. 
We have recently undertaken a study for our LinkedIn community. And when we asked the investors in what area they face the most issues, they answer labor and human resources. There is no surprise that together with compliance issues, employment issues are critical elements to be evaluated and assessed before buying a business in Vietnam. What should investors look at, look at in these two areas in order to spot potential gaps? The, the, the HR, the people side of things, the human resources is, is an interesting one because it actually covers a large range of issues. And, um, and you, you've got the issues from a resource point of view, knowledge perspective. So you've got a company that's grown relatively fast in recent times and you've got this management experience gap that exists. Um, and within the experience management, a lot of them is quite narrow. They haven't had that broad experience because society hasn't given it to them. So you do have gaps in finding skilled people. So it's a frustration of getting the right people um, and getting people at the expectations of the foreign investor. You've then got the mindset, and this is what I find personally the harder one is, the mindset. Someone who is a very rigid, um, um, rote learning mindset may know their field very well, but they're not broad. They, they can't grow with the business. And that can be a hindrance versus trying to find someone who has that ability to adapt. And I actually put a great credit on someone with an international mindset, not necessarily experience, but international mindset. You can grow them. They grow with the company versus that might be very technically great, but a narrow mindset. And those problems really become difficult to try to find the, the right people with experience that are willing to grow and that can work with your business. And that's tough. And if you're investing in a business or growing a business, finding those people. So I understand that the question of where, why that was on the LinkedIn survey, why that was the number one issue. By far, as I understand, it was considerably higher than anything else. Um, and one more part about that, that I find also is the management, the HR approach in Vietnam, which is much more about um, documentation, regulatory compliance than it is about people. And so I always tell investors, split HR minds into two. One is people culture, one is compliance and regulatory. The compliance regulatory, it's a processing. It's following the law, it's lots of paperwork and it's paying salaries and it's doing the calculations. Have a different structure and a different side of the people and culture. Recruiting, um, training, gap identification, people development, developing resources and working with management about executive decisions about the business and the structures. And don't let that get mixed in with the compliance side, which is often a distraction. And that in Vietnam is not done well in my experience. Mm -hmm. the, and the licensing provisions of the target entity together with its statutory structure are usually the most important risk elements in the transactions because of the potential impact of the future of the business and its shareholders. Investors need to ensure the target business holds all the necessary licenses to operate legally. Otherwise, they may need to undertake a restructuring process. How do you see this uh, issue, Matthew? And do you agree uh, with uh, with this element? Yeah, so licensing is broad and I won't cover it all in a great deal here, but the, the concept in Vietnam of licensing is necessary to deal with because it does catch you out. So you've got this, this concept of companies can only take undertake activities which they're licensed and there's a range of codes. Some are restricted for foreign investors, some have sub-license requirements. So understanding what the business can do, what the ownership limitations are, if any, um, to make sure that it's feasible. But then you've got your sub-license. So it might be an education sub-license. It might be the you know, Ministry of Education. It might be a sub-license for e-commerce, Ministry of Trade, of Industry and Trade. So that's sub-license the conditions. If you're doing recruitment, if you're doing um, training activities, there may be a range of sub-licenses that exist and they may have requirements uh, on them 
that you may overlook in the process by going simply, oh yeah, it's unrestricted foreign investors can buy it. But you must make sure that um, that not only the license understood from an ownership restriction and a transfer, but also on the sub-license requirements, any financial requirements and others that exist. So we have seen situations in recent times where transactions have been stalled because the sub-license requirements were not um, uh, not taken to account at the early stage. And so they come to us, oh, we're partway through, we just want to complete this transaction. And then they stall because those requirements uh, were overlooked at the early stage. So licensing is really important. And the, the often called business lines, making sure you understand those and the restrictions. One of the early stages you need to look at to, to, to assess before you start getting deeply involved in any transaction. Mm -hmm, indeed. Uh, and how can through a due diligence, uh, investors uh, assess structural and commercial risks for the, their entity, the one they want to buy or the one, the one they sell. Yeah, so the, the due diligence is critical. Due diligence is that point where, yep, we think there's something ready here. We want to move forward and understand. So the buyer doing that due diligence, understanding of all those tax and financials and the reality. They've obviously got the overview, they've been told where it's at, they understand it. That's the verification. So it is not an audit, often perceived as an audit, it's a verification. And you're looking at financial verification, you're looking at tax verification, you're looking at commercial, you're looking at legal. So you need to make sure that all of those are covered so that when you, um, at the end of the year, you report, you know the problems, you know the risks, you know the things that may be attended to. There's always things. And are they high risk and have to be completed before the owner must fix it before you'll buy it because of the issues or whether they can be done later and understanding where it stands. And we can do a whole podcast just on due diligence and issues, etc. but just the broad sense. But I also want to just put in there that um, from the seller side, to make the due diligence process easier so you don't get, oh my God, issues arising during the due diligence from the buyer, the seller should do their own vendor due diligence, which is they get everything ready as if an external party is reviewing them. And they get someone to go through and prepare it for their benefit. So they can find out all the issues, they can find missing documents, and they can fix the things that they have before the buyer sees it. So the buyer doesn't see the warts, warts and all. The buyer only sees what has been curated and put to them and fixed. What happens is that a buyer goes, oh, there's not too many issues here. And they put a higher value on the higher likelihood that the deal will complete. If you don't do the vendor due diligence, the buyer comes along and finds all the warts and all. And it's sometimes as we see transactions don't proceed or the conditions on the transactions are really onerous as a result of the due diligence. So the vendor due diligence is the preparation. It gets the seller ready. It does the hard lifting and it does it in protecting that only they get to see it. And that to me is really important, particularly where the company hasn't gone through a structure, a compliance structure, an audit process. It hasn't really been accountable before. So privately, private Vietnamese owned businesses always do a vendor DD. International businesses that have a level of, of, of um, of culture behind them of compliance and, and um, interrogation in the past, maybe not as necessary for a transaction. So the buyer, so the buyer due diligence is going to be difficult and prepare for that. And it's necessary to make sure that the buyer understands what they're getting and there isn't any surprises. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Matthew, you have acted as an investor on the buy side and sell side many times, helping investors to ensure a minimum risk level for their investment plan. What kind of buyer protection and negotiations are possible and advised within the transaction process of buying a business in Vietnam? Uh, you, I 
that's a nice one, but um, it's, it's interesting where a lot of transactions internationally, you'd be working on um, a lot of the representations and warranties, commitments from one side, and those commitments are legally enforceable if they're not being underda- undertaken and if the reps- representations being made um, are, not, um, are not correct, action can be taken. You have to assume in Vietnam that they're going to be very difficult to enforce. So the representations and warranties, the promises and commitments, you don't want to be doing a transaction based on those as, as, a, as my fundamental sort of foundation for the um, protections that exist. They may be possible, it may be, but you just don't want them as your primary means. They are uh, the, the final alternative. What you want is to be doing a negotiation where that there is as much done prior to handover that you can expect or there are retentions in payments. So as a buyer, payment retentions to force the seller to complete activities, knowing if they don't complete, what does it mean to you? Can you complete it? Or is it it structurally a major issue? In that case, there should be pre-completion matters, not post-completion. So conditions precedent in your document, in your your, your documentation is gonna be very important of what's critical pre-transaction or post-transaction. Um, the other one is to do it is to try to structure transactions where there is um, enforcement. So if you are doing a tra- structure and there's a holding company and you're buying the holding company, doing the transaction outside, making it lit- the litigation that could exist outside of Vietnam is also very useful. So the, they're the main things is that due diligence leads to into main, that's why due diligence is important. Um, what are the risks? What are conditions, precedents that must be done? What are conditions subsequent? Less reliance on reps and warranties and offshore transactions versus onshore, therefore using offshore jurisdictions where there is enforceability versus onshore. In in Vietnam, trying to enforce something based upon a reference warranty, as I said before, um, is the courts are very slow if they accept it. It may be possible, but it is ne- is a difficult process. So that's that's my my um, my general sort of two minute summary, Vlad. But mm-hmm. it, it is a complicated part. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, now that we understand these complicated uh, elements of uh, the buyer's perspective um, into an investment in the company, let's look at the seller. What deciding when deciding to sell all or part of an investment in Vietnam? The first and foremost objective is to obtain the maximum sale price. So, what is your company's worth? That's the main question. The sale price is not only the value that the seller expects or desires, but it, sh- it should also be based on the fair market value which will also depend on how attractive the business is and how it meets investors' expectations. How can sellers accurately determine their business value then? Yeah, um, it, it, there's no one value, put it out there. It is the value, uh, you know, a market price is, uh, a price value business is what a um, informed seller and an informed buyer would agree to pay for a business. Um, Quite often you're finding that the information is not there, it's a limited market, it's restricted market. So values are difficult. We always come back to the traditional valuation methodology and we actually say get a valuation, get one done. Net present value of future cash flows, often his NPV. You can do a whole lot of methods, comparable transactions, but getting a valuation. They're not as easy to do and they're, they're difficult in some ways because of um, the, the limited pool of information in Vietnam. It's your information on transactions that other transactions is not as public, but you can do it. 
you can prepare a valuation, get an understanding, and you can look at what the value, what the parameters are that change that. If there's certain things that result in higher or lower, there's certain elements. What it also does quite often is um, we see a formal valuation really does disappoint or encourages some because expectations and reality are different. So we come up with a valuation range and someone said, but I believe my business is worth twice as much as that. I'm not going to sell it. That's okay. At least you understand as an, an owner what the theoretical market price is versus your expectation. So if it's worth more to you to keep it and keep, fine, that's okay. But misunderstanding what the market expects versus what a true market value is versus what you expect. And vice versa, sometimes it's worth more than someone thinks. Um, usually the other way of the over, overvalued. What we do see though is we do see that there are targeted buyers in Vietnam that will pay more than what a normal market value would be for their own purposes. And some of those are barriers to entry, some of those are um, in relation to restricted sectors, and so that and this general Vietnam premium, it's hard to set up and get started in many ways, even though it may be an unrestricted market, just entering Vietnam for certain things is hard. So that we do see a Vietnam premium being paid by someone who is not sort of um, not in an equal position. It's not just a uh, an active uh, a buyer trying to the seller. The buyer is going. I have to have something. I have to get in there. It's part. It's a missing part of my footprint. And we do see in that case the values can be higher. And negotiations are not as always just straightforward. But because of those factors. So evaluation is necessary and it's a starting point. It's not the final answer of what is the best way to go and how to de determine the value of the business. Mm -hmm. And looking at structure, we talked about this before. Uh, the structure is also important when undertaking a sale process for of a business, not just when investing in one. How can business owned owners ensure they have an appropriate business structure that facilitates an easy path for an exit for a sale? Yeah, uh, two parts to this. One is getting it right at the start or early stages. So building and starting a business with the knowledge of, of exiting. So if you if you know you're building a business to exit at some stage, or that is a possibility, and I tell everyone to do that regardless, um, getting that structure. And if that is an off, if you're a foreign investor having an offshore hold code that owns the Vietnam, so when you come to sell, you're selling at the offshore level and you're not requiring Vietnamese approvals because nothing changes at the local level. Getting that structure right or understanding how to get to that structure in the early stages gives you that ability and the flexibility. Um, a offshore transaction versus an onshore transaction is significantly easier. So we want to just make sure that that is possible. The next part is if there's restrictions, making putting place um, a, a method to get around restrictions. Um, we do see the use of nominees, even though they're not encouraged or necessarily part of the legal framework. Um, we do see ways and methods to go around that we see call options and put options and other ways to get around that. For a business that's well established, it is sometimes that you need to restructure the business before a transaction, particularly if you've got a tainted business, you've been running two sets of books and not compliant. Setting up a new company and transferring the business to a new company that's clean with a new structure that's transactable, that's important. So trying to make sure that, um, that you uh, not just saying, I'll just sell what I have, because that may not result in the highest value. It may require restructure and selling the restructured business, or it may require just get that structure right at the start, maximizing value, but also deal transaction simplicity and the ability to complete. Because at the end of the day, anything, valuation's one thing, due diligence, everything else, if you can't complete the deal, it's a fail. So we make sure that it is transactable. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Matthew.
And finally, during the deal process, as you mentioned, a well-prepared data room is the foundation for a successful transaction. In order to proactively manage the information requested by the buyer and facilitate the deal process, the data room should be prepared prior to the buyer's due diligence review exercises. Why is this important in uh, your opinion? So the data room is um, an integral part of the process. You can't complete a deal without that, that step. So whether that is doing valuation, whether that is doing the due diligence, buy side, sell side, um, or anything else, it's based on the, the facts and the facts is supported by the data. So that needs that you need to have um, a breakdown in a structured way of all your financial records or your legal records or your transactional, operational, everything that someone's going to want to look at to understand the business, your IT structure, your employment history and structures and people. Now, a lot of that's very confidential. So you need to be careful that when you're doing this, that you're making sure that it is only accessed by the people that need to see it. It's only accessible for, per for reasons and there's restrictions. So that's the sort of foundation is the core element. If you're doing a vendor DD or you're the seller, preparing that in advance, as you've said, is absolutely need to do that because it'll identify what gaps, it'll identify how you frame the discussions. If you're doing it and you're um, the buyer saying, I wanna start the transaction process, here's my request list, and then you build the data room, you're building the data room against someone else's request, not necessarily what the business is. And they don't know your business, so they're requesting documents that may be a distraction, may lead things in the wrong direction. So I always say, as a seller, prepare the data room, prepare it based around your business, and do that, and then when they want the request list, just refer to the data room that you already have. Now, sometimes you have to restructure it and the buyer may have very good reasons and you must meet their needs. But I would say as a seller, you are better off for everyone's benefit to structure it in the way that represents the business, that has it there, has everything in there so that the buyer can make a decision based upon your business and not just their generic standard request list because they don't know your business. Now, the other part of this is if you are doing it, and the reason you do it early is to find your gaps, fill that gaps, and be open and honest with the buyer, seller and buyer understanding what's not there. So there's no gotchas in a due diligence, which is why Vendor DD allows that, but preparing that data room. You need to do it early, and you need to do it, um, otherwise nothing will happen. You can tell your staff, if you're preparing it on the sell side, that it's being done for compliance. You don't need to tell them why that data room is being prepared. And if everything's in the data room, a due diligence is a much simpler operation. It's less impact on the business. It's less pulls people answering questions at last minute because it's all in there. And it puts less stress on the business that's being acquired because of those distractions. So a good, well-planned data room allows for a process to occur. It allows for everything needs to happen, but it also limits risk and it makes sure the transaction can be completed. As I said before, not completing is your biggest risk. So this means that you can manage the process. And it's, you, if you do it properly, it manages it for the benefit of buy side, sell side, win, win, win. You have to do it. Um, the, the, the structure, there are common structures that are that are generally regarded as the appropriate way to do a data room. However, it's not so much the structure, it's making sure um, there's, a, there's a particular structure, it's making sure that it is structured in some way that makes sense for the business and that everything's necessary to the greatest extent is in there and found and located before you start the transaction process. Matthew, thanks again for the thorough insights. It was a pleasure talking to you about this uh, important subject and potentially quite important in these times uh, under COVID and under these market fluctuations and uh, investors coming in and exiting the market. So it's quite interesting for, for them to really understand uh, the fundamentals right. of the issues. 
always great to talk, Vlad, and um, always happy to do it. Number 17 podcast. Look forward to talking next time. Perfect. As I said, in these challenging times under COVID, there are also significant opportunities in certain sectors and industries, for example, hospitality, transport, logistics, tourism, enabling investors to enter the Vietnamese market through a favorable acquisition or share purchase. This may be valid as well for local businesses who are in difficulty. Uh, a sale or a deal with a potential investor may revive their operations and allow them to continue to support their staff and employees and potentially make them more successful. Therefore, we advise both investors and business owners in Vietnam to keep their operations compliant and legal and be prepared to take advantage of any market opportunities that would be beneficial for their stakeholders. And many thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Advancing Vietnam podcast series. For more information about this topic, please check out our publications on vietnam.acclaim.com. And if you want to reach out to us for any additional details, feel free to contact me on LinkedIn or throughout the website contact details.